Hello, everyone. Welcome to another exciting edition of the Chris and Arash show. And so how are you doing, Chris? I'm doing great. How are you? Uh, pretty good. It's a, it's a beautiful day here where we are in Vancouver. And uh, we have an interesting topic today. Do you want to introduce it? Yeah, not controversial at all. Religion and spirituality. Uh, let's see how many people we can offend, including each That's other. Right. <laughs> Our goal is not to do so, but uh, we do like to think and talk about things, and um, we're we're going to get started here. So um, let's start with definitions, actually. That's exactly what I was thinking. Good. Those very words. So I'll take religion. Um I think actually then I'm stealing this definition, but uh, Bruce Lincoln, who's a, a history of uh, religions uh, professor, he should know, I assume. Uh, I, I do think he does. So um, he describes religion as transcendent ideas, a practice, a community, and an institution. That was the first one transcendent ideas? Transcendent. 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 Yeah, probably transcendental ideas. That's what I noted down. So um, anything that transcends, let's put it that way. Ideas well, that transcend our boundaries. Yeah. Well, I think that's interesting because that first part points to the potential spirituality ingredient yeah. in religion, whereas the, the rest of them refer to the cultural, you know, and ethical components, right? But but that could apply to spirituality as well in in a way because then you do have a certain practice perhaps in a certain community, so but then, it's true. Yeah, so can of worms do if, if we open true. that. But that that's a definition. My own definition of religion is to have a belief in transcendental belief again, uh, probably in a supreme being or a universe or goddess or whatever you have. Yeah, I, I guess I guess for me, when I think of a religion, I think that there's a narrow segment of the population that actually is mining religion for something for transcendent experiences. You know, so there are those who are truly there for that, and then the 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 ninety nine percent of the other people are there for the culture, for the values for the, you know, kind of life guidance. And and I think of it, and I, I mean, again, based on my extensive research, not really, but, you know, like just my impression is just when I, and I, sh I should mention, like, as I was looking, making notes and everything, I noticed that pretty much everything that I sort of made notes about was, was about Christianity. You know, like, mm -hmm. it's, I'm not Christian, but that's the one that's most accessible and most known to me. So, you know, I just... Constantly, everything's well. Christians, this Christians, that, and of course, that's not everyone. Um, so it, you know, but I think some of what I'm going to say applies to others as well, just to make a broad sort of generalization. And I, and my experience has been that when I engage in conversation with Christians about their their values, their beliefs, and so on, it quickly becomes something like a shared communal, like a community experience. It's a, it helps locate their identity in the world, but it doesn't necessarily, and, and of course it gives them some comfort, you know, like they pray, whatever, but I don't know. I always get the impression that it's like, 
it's it just happens to be the culture they're in and the and the cost of admission is this set of beliefs you know what i mean like they didn't go they didn't go shopping around for like oh i think i'm going to be a hindu no wait a minute um you know i want to be like a zoroastrian or whatever nah okay i settle on christianity it's like they their parents were christians their grandparents were christians they born in a Christian household, all their friends are Christian, they, their community is around the church. That's just the air they breathe. And so that's the, and so for them, it, you know, questioning it or whatever is, eh, what's the point? Yeah, it, it reminds me of the idea of like the, the club model that they have of like to belong to this club, you might dress in a, in a certain way. There's a certain sacrifice involved. Let's say maybe you have to go vegetarian to be part of this club. And and so and so uh, depending on how much they how exclusive they are, the, the more like special you would feel of belonging to that club. It's like, mm -hmm. you know, people aspire for it. And that's kind of an interesting way of seeing it. And that's how you recognize each other. So basically, whether it's the, the hijab, whether it's the cross and so on, the Christian cross, so that you can kind of say, oh, you're a member of this club as well, right. which I found interesting because that creates that community that we are mentioning here as well. And uh, I went to, I've been attending lots of um, talks by Gresham College. And in one of them, uh, there was one that, that was called the myth of secularism and that kind of reminded me of that as you're speaking where um he's uh, dr usami al asami he uh, uh, a muslim scholar he talked about how in 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 the west we are uh, there is not really the separation of church and state uh that we think there is it's just replacing them so the saints would be basically the founding fathers the constitution is the sacred scripture the clerics is the Supreme Court. And when, when you think of it in that way, you say, well, there is actually not that much of a separation here between uh, the church and the state. And when there are these language, the, the language, um, biblical language, if you like, and religious language that goes into uh, uh, the state as well and politicians, then it comes becomes confounded as well. Yeah, but I would say, I mean, I, I, I sort of get the, the parallel, but the the big difference is that, I mean, it is the founding fathers and so on are, are secular in the sense that they're not imbued with magical powers or, you know, yeah. and, and this is not based on faith. This is based on reason. This is based on, you know, actual principles. So it's not like, oh, there's a God. Really? How do we know? Because there is, and you have to have faith in him. What? And then, you know, the founding fathers, are they real? Yep, we have history books, you know, like it's sort of the triumph of reason over faith, you know, and over, you know, some very anti-reason, anti anti-scientific, um, you know, trends in, in human thought. I mean, that's, I think, for me, the most objectionable. Like, I'll, I'll just say I'm not Christian and I, I will say that I don't, I think, I don't think it's 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 good for humans to engage in these faith-based communities. I don't think it's it's healthy in terms. I think I see a lot of negative things come out of it. I do understand that it does provide a very solid community. I understand that they build hospitals in Africa or whatever and, and all that. But I think at, at at the core, if you're basing things on faith, you're you're just you know on not questioning things. That's a recipe for disaster, as we've seen. And I would also say that, at least for Christianity, it's it's a 
it's a storage place for conservative values. It's a place where all the kind of things that for me are not progressive hold us back. That's a great place just to keep them really safe, you know, <laughs> like, so, you know, they're, they're the last ones to accept homosexuality and, you know, and having a lot of reasonable discussion about abortion, um, you know, transgender rights, whatever it is, we know where the, where the Christians are going to land on, on all those issues. Yeah, so I, I think one of the problems is to, to, we should see it actually more as a spectrum and even Christianity or again, any of the major religions. So I, I do agree with what you're saying at certain base and it could be a big base. It could be a lot of people and it could be a, people that are probably more outspoken than others. But I think there was, uh, there is also a group of liberal uh, Christians who do, and there are, and it's not that yeah. I think, there are. And so we have to keep that in mind. The same way, it's kind of the fallacy of saying, well, Islam is a religion that is uh, um, fanatics uh, um, use it, it's uh, violent right. terrorism and so on. But that is our perception and it's wrong because it is, again, a small group of people and within that religion, there are many who oppose that. Majority actually opposes them. So right. it's it's also the idea of misconceptions that we have of certain religious groups. That's why we have so many sects. And I think right. one of the problems with religion, and uh, I would not consider myself a Christian either, but I'm fascinated by the main character, Jesus, and I think, and the Buddha at the same time. I think these are people that we should follow and we should really like listen to what they're saying. But instead, we're going with that club model of like, right. okay, if you want to be in this group, this is what you have to accept, right? So this is our club. And if if you don't accept those beliefs and they tend to be conservative, yes, absolutely, then you can't be part of us. And that, I think, is the problem there. Um, yeah, so it's it's like, I don't think we should, and to have a community, we should have, I like interfaith, where you can bring in your own personal beliefs, religious beliefs, spiritual beliefs, and communicate with each other. I think those are the best because that's yeah. when you get the full spectrum of, again, different views. Let's look at God himself, which is uh, uh, something that I, uh, I've struggled with too. And um, um, so the definition of God here, the traditional one, again, and it's a very logical one, uh, omniscient, omnipotent, omnibenevolent, right? So all-knowing, all and uh, all-powerful, as well as all-good. The problem of evil was very fascinating for me because that's something that we have to struggle with then. Why is there evil in the world? If, if there's this, this benevolent God, right? Yes. If, again, uh, it might not be all-knowing. And uh, if, if you look in the Bible, there are many things that I say, well, he should have known that. Why is he surprised? You know, why did he not see that coming if he's all-knowing? Why did he have to, like, destroy humanity and get angry if he already knew that was going to come? So that is one thing that baffles me. Uh, the idea of also being against knowledge, anti-knowledge, the tree of knowledge. Don't eat of it. Why not? Isn't that a good thing? Right. Yeah, I, I mean, um, and you know this. I mean, with the problem of evil, then we go down the path of, of free will, you know, and, and sort of that we, you can, he's, he's, there's all knowing, whatever, you can choose a path, you can choose to eat from the tree of knowledge, but then you'll be, you know, 
thrown out of the Garden of Eden and all those kind of things. It's like, that's, uh, was, was, that's on you. We, I didn't say, you know, that's, you could have stayed in paradise, but you had to have the apple, you know. Um, and, you know, it's, to me, it's just uh, such a fairy tale. Like, it's just like, what's, what? Like, I, I struggle with just like, you know, when, when I, I mean, I think that, that there are probably highly intellectual slash spiritual Christians. Well, I know there are who, you know, view these things in a highly, highly metaphorical and poetic light, you know, and, mm -hmm. and I think that's cool. And, I, and some of my favorite writers have done that. But, you know, like most of the time when I like what one of my experiences I had was um, I used to live, I lived overseas and I'm, I won't even say where just because I don't want to get, <laughs> point fingers at anybody right now, but there, there was a quite a large number of born again Christians who were there to proselytize. Like there, that was why they were in that country. And I worked alongside of them and I didn't think that was a great thing, but I also try to be respectful of their beliefs, but I did like to engage them in conversation. I'd say, listen, you're my coworker. I, I respect you in general, I'm very curious about what you believe, you know, and, and so, and, and I'm not, I'm no, I'm no uh, Bible expert, but I did take some courses in uni and in, in graduate schools. So I, I read around a bit. So, you know, I'd say, listen, let's talk about the book of Deuteronomy, you know, like yeah. where, you know, pretty, pretty clear rules about when to beat your slave and, and you should, you can like stone your neighbor if they make noise on the Sabbath. And, you know, it's like, obviously you're not taking these, you know, at face value. Right. And, you know, the conversation kind of disintegrated pretty fast, you know, cause I, I had this naive sense that they were invested in really knowing their own religion, you know, and it didn't take long to scratch the surface where the, this, where we would go from talking about actual, you know, principles and how can this be and sort of biblical analysis to the story of how they came to be a born again Christian. And there was something, some crisis in their life and the church opened its arms and they welcomed this person in. And as you mentioned before, you know, kind of to be part of that club, you know, here's here what, what we believe. You believe it too, right? Yep, I do. And it was just like, they weren't passionately engaged with those kind of ideas. And I was kind of disappointed in that because it's kind of their life, you know. So, and I'm sure that there might be people who are like, "Whoa, no, I, that's such a generalization." Just, and, I, and I'm not trying to generalize to all Christians. I'm just talking about this experience I had. But I thought I realized that for a lot of people, that it, I couldn't have a straight conversation about it because there was always, I won't say an agenda, but a, a, another motive for them to be in the Christianity game, other than. I was so turned on by the Bible or I had some kind of spiritual revelation around the words of Jesus. Mm -hmm. And I, I think it's really the interpretation too of, of, of the book itself, because there's so much and you can focus on all the different parts and there's contradictions there too. And then do you read it as figurative or as literal? And that's where we, we would run into, into issues. But if you see it as, as a work of literature, um, in that sense, we know as, as, as instructors too, you can see, you can have different viewpoints on it and you can oh. see it in different ways and analyze it in different ways. And um, it could still be the word of God, if you like, the source could be divine, but then 
it's how do we use this? And what we see in many cases is people are basically projecting their own violence into it, their own views that, oh, slavery, yes, you can beat them and so on. So th those kind of ideas resonate with them. And that's what they bring to the discussion. And I think there are other parts that are much more important. Again, the, the the history of Jesus and things that he says, and even he contradicts himself. In one point, it's like, yeah, let's be meek and uh, humble. And then in the next one, it's like, yeah, let's get the sword and fight them. So it's like, but I think it's 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 getting to the, to the core of it. And the other thing that I have issues with, with organized religion is they're taking it so goddamn seriously. Mm -hmm. And I think... Religion should be about joy. It's not the idea of suffering that is important. It's the idea of Jesus resurrecting and coming to life and existing, that there is an afterlife. But our focus in, in various forms of Christianity is on the suffering part, and we have to suffer and so on. But why not enjoy? Because when you look at Jesus himself, he had a great time turning water into wine at a wedding. I mean, that's it's just awesome. He was a cool dude, you know, and and um, I think we miss that. We miss the playfulness in it because it's also so dead serious in many cases. I guess, but I guess the tradition of, of Christianity and, and it's, it's aesthetic, you know, in terms of what we, you know, you go to the Louvre, you know, it's just like, oh my God, how many times are you going to, hey, I don't know, I'm going to paint it do another painting of Jesus and Mary. Oh, that's interesting. Let's do that. Let's just, just do that. The only subject. For how many, you know, thousands of years? But um, the, I just lost my train of thought. But, but I was going to say, but I mean, I think that's it. Like you know, there isn't a lot of joy, and there's a lot of shame. You know, like there's and so sexuality, shame, right? Like get kicked out mm -hmm. of Garden of Eden because, you know, and and suddenly we go from, you know, everybody's everybody being Adam and Eve uh, and are naked and it's all good, but then they're suddenly ashamed and they're kicked out mm -hmm. and it's, and there's a whole idea of original sin and, mm -hmm. and what a huge burden to put on humanity or mm -hmm. at least Christian humanity, right? Like what mm -hmm. the hell, like, you know, mm -hmm. just to have to have this yoke of shame and guilt mm -hmm. and, you know, th what makes us most human is actually somehow repulsive you know, like sexuality, mm -hmm. whatever, something that has to be mm -hmm. hidden, you know, our strongest, you know, most, where our vitality comes from, like, you know, sexual impulses and things like that has to be, you know, repressed, you know, and, and it's like, and it feeds so well into building, you know, an, a good, you know, um, economy where, where people have to work very hard as a work ethic, you know, component to Christianity and everybody has to, you know, follow the rules and all of that. It's just, it's just a perfect recipe for a repressed, miserable life, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What, what I see is like uh, God becoming flesh too. And you have that. And so the idea of like, okay, God is represented in, in Jesus. He is God who is, is again, son of God, whatever you want to call that. And so that's kind of entering the, the human realm and experiencing it. And uh, I, I love the Wim Wenders movie, um, uh, Wings of Desire, where the angel becomes human. And right. he's just fascinated by, look, color, because before it's all black and white to him. And it's like sensations. I'm drinking a hot coffee on a cold uh, winter's morning. And so those things 
should we should focus on we should celebrate those are actually what what makes us human and makes us alive and i think that's kind of a segue into uh, for me the definition of spirituality of being attuned to all of those things and not shunning them or not mm -hmm. being bogged down by what you're saying um, ideas of sin or no this is bad or i shouldn't drink coffee because it's a drug and so on but more like a more kind of like embracing attitude of, of life and uh, the good parts of life of course there is a, a lot of dark side to it and I, I think we can maybe if we have time we'll get into morality a bit later but i think that is for me the definition of, of being a spirit a part of it of being spiritual i guess um I, I would i would agree that definitely that is a part of spirituality but i think there's also and i'm not saying it's necessarily right or wrong but you know within spirituality there's also a kind of transcendence of things like desire and things that define us as human it may not be the same kind of shame it may not be a repudiation of that but there is a kind of you know moving beyond it um and so if there is some similarities in that respect um and but in the same time there are also like tantra you know, which is, you know, really uses sexuality as a spiritual practice. So, you know, that you, those can be kind of melded. But I think there is something key, some key difference here, like, you know, in terms of spirituality versus religion. And I just feel like spirituality is a personal matter. You know, like I think I'm, I'm sure the religious would say that they have a personal relationship with their God. So fair enough. But maybe spirituality touches on that as opposed to all of the rules and edicts and, and cultural norms that arise around those beliefs. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that, I think that's a useful way to do it. And I think to me, spiritual is, you know, I guess it should be anyway, kind of following your own path as, a, as opposed to uh, following, you know, whatever you've been born into. So think for yourself. Would that be something you'd say as somebody who uh, thinks for themselves would be spiritual as part of it again? Yeah. And I mean, think yes, but I think just maybe guided something, sometimes even something beyond, I mean, for sure, like then go, you know, do some reading, whatever, but sort of searching for a kind of transcendent experience that isn't necessarily going to be, you know, taking this, the sacrament or whatever on, on at mass or something, you know, it's, it's like seeking out some kind of deeply personal experience. I mean, this is against very general, very personal definition that I'm imposing on it, but I, I that's, that's sort of what comes up in my mind. I think it's easier for us to define religion than spirituality because yeah. uh, even like trying to find a definition of it, it's just like, it's not very clear what we mean by that. And uh, my question for you, one of my questions that I had was, does it involve the word spirit? Spirituality has the word spirit. Is that part of your belief system as well? If you would be a spiritual person, would that include spirit and whatever that means here in this context? Yeah, I mean, I, I was going to ask you about that, too. I think that's where you and I differ a little bit, because I don't really have a supernatural view of the world. You know, like I'm kind of a materialist. And so like, you know, I, I think, I think Buddhism has enormous amounts of value for us and this, but it's, but it's a very secular Buddhism that, that, you know, is 
practiced in the West. And you but know, isn't Buddhism spiritual? It's spiritual, but I would just say that, like, in in some forms, you know, there's reincarnation, for example. Yeah, I mean, exactly. And, That's what I mean. So the yeah. idea that you know, and so. Um, that you know, I, I, that's not something I believe in. Like, I don't, mm -hmm. you know, except in its most abstract metaphorical sense, you know what I mean? Like, in the sense of, um, you know, the or karma, for example. Again, yeah, I, I don't, I, I think that sort of what goes around comes around for sure, but, but it's not like a sort of one to one sort of sciencey kind of thing, mm -hmm. but, um, and when reincarnation, I think even that is like when you delve into the definitions, it gets really tricky, you know, because it's sort of because remember, like in Buddhism, there is no self. There is no the self is an illusion. And so you, how do you reincarnate something that's not, you know, like the idea, like the cartoon version of this is you, you come back as like uh, a, a, some kind of like mule hooked up to like an ox cart because you were bad in this life or something like that or you're like reincarnated as, as a cockroach as you know some sort of kafkaesque nightmare but but it's like it's nothing like that you know it's more like energy is sort of being um sort of things are happening certain kind of energetic patterns are repeating because of things that happened before something like that it's not mm. like me coming back as some some other dude. I I've always like I mean the Zen Zen Buddhist Christianity I was fascinated by as a, as a teen, but then uh, Zen Buddhism came in and I was even more fascinated by that and just forgot about Christianity for a while. But um, one of the things was my misconception of the self when they talk about like oh we don't have a self and so on. I I think that is we don't uh, uh, as as somebody who is like studying it and so on. I don't think I fully understood it, and I I think I stand it much better now, because the idea of self that we have that is the illu illusion part, the illusory part, is that I think okay, this is a rash, this is who I am, this is what I do, this is you know my life here and so on, and that's the only perception of myself. But I think what uh, um, Buddhism sees is that this is part of it, that there is a self that is bigger than that, which is also me, but this is just a tiny perception of it. One of the most fascinating things for me was when I noticed um, after um, going through basically analyzing myself through uh, by using uh, psychoanalysis and so on, getting to like liberating myself in many ways from, from many ideas that I had about the self. And then there was a certain moment where I felt like elated, where I felt like, you know, I'm kind of hovering through life. And I get that actually now much more often uh, uh, on, on a more continual basis. And I was reminded by um, a Zen quote I'd read that said, well, uh, Satori is when you are hovering above like a couple inches above the ground and you go about your, your life. And then I thought, well, this is, this is the same kind of feeling. And then I found out that Erich Fromm wrote a book on Zen Buddhism and psychoanalysis, basically saying it's the same thing. So, and then that also led me to another thought. It's like, well, what if all of these religions and spiritual practices and so on, the aim is the same, philosophy as well, Western philosophy, to know yourself, but not the self that we are living and accustomed to. It's like 
a different experience. That's the transcendence, the mm-hmm. transcendent part of it, of expanding and in and evolving other people too. The, the the circle is much bigger than uh than we we think. And that is to me the, the fascinating way of, of seeing all religions. We're all it's actually exactly the same thing. And we are fighting because we're just focusing on the self, the small self, and not the bigger self. And that's why we have these horrible things happen in the world. Mm. Yeah. And, and, and I would, I mean, I, for sure. And those are all interesting. I don't know if, you know, the majority of, of followers of any particular religion are grappling with, you know, the, the, the illusory nature of the self, but, but I think, you know, it's sort of, I know for myself, the way I think of it is, you know, I always think of Buddhism as closer to psychology than philosophy, you know, and, and, you know, Descartes sort of, I think therefore I am, is that, that is, that is Descartes, right? And, and I've heard a lot of people on the Buddhist side sort of say, and that's where the, that's where, that was the first mistake. Like that's, that's where we diverge. Because the idea of this solid, you know, defined by the, the stream of cognition, you know, like I am these thoughts that are in my head. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the whole purpose of, of meditation is to go, as I've heard it described, behind a waterfall. So, you know, so you get to a place where you're actually, you can say, I am not my thoughts. The thoughts come and go, and the thoughts are merely reactive to a situation you know, that there are thoughts would be a better way to put it than mm-hmm. I am thinking these thoughts, or maybe to say, I am being thought by these thoughts, you know, like, or something like that, because it's a kind of emergent self that's not consistent over time. You know, it's just, there's, there's angry self because of something that happened, but it feels very solid. It feels like this is who I am. And then later there's, you know, regretful self for the, the the carnage that angry self did and then there's loving self and then there's whatever self but it's just like a a, a phenomena that's just happening in the moment and then poof it's, it's just ephemera and then it's gone <laughs> and then it does something else but in each case it's kind of wrapped in this illusion of um consistency you know it's like look it's, it's like a hall of mirrors you know it's like mm-hmm. here i am you know um, Sunday afternoon or Saturday afternoon self. And I'm, I've always kind of been this way. Look, look back, you know, look on this hall of mirrors, but it's all, you're just looking at a thought. It's a single thought of the view of the past. It's not a real view. And, and that view of the past will change completely with a different mood or a different whatever. And this is very interesting because our bodies change. You know, and so I heard like cells, like they every seven years they right. renew themselves, and of course physically we do change. I used to have more hair, and they're changing color and stuff. But we assume that the the spirit part or the mind or or, or again the thinking part that it's going to be the same and that we're consistent. But when when you look back and when I look back a few years back, I see like how many changes have happened also in the way of thinking. But I think people get stuck in that that cycle of thought, as you say. And what I love is the koans that um, the, uh, the the Zen practice does is like where you try to solve a riddle that you cannot solve and you keep trying and you go and see the master and um, your answers like usually don't satisfy them until one day you have a realization. 
And that is, again, very spiritual in my view. And when you have that and you walk into the room, the master recognizes that and says, okay, now you got it. But it's not an answer that we can put into words. Right. And and I think, you know, and the famous one is the, the sound of one hand clapping, for mm-hmm. example. And I think the, one of the ways I've heard the, the sort of false self described in Buddhism is the conditioned self. You know, it's this, a self that is simply reacting to a set of, of conditions, of, of, of conditional, you know, inputs and mm-hmm. feels very, oh, that's what I, you know, that's who I am and that's, you know, solid and there's nothing more. But it's merely, well, because I I do that because I've always done that. Because when when stimulus X happens, then response B happens, you know. And so, you know, one of the reasons that people go on retreats, you know, and a retreat, you know, like a meditation retreat, I've never done one. Eventually, I guess I will. I'm kind of, <laughs> I kind of know I have to, and I'm kind of dreading it. But it's not a fun experience. Like nobody's going to retreat going, oh, that was so fun and relaxing because it's just you and your mind for whatever, a few days, a few weeks, whatever it is. And and what's going to come up is all of that conditioning, which is going to say, you can't just sit here. You have to do this. And you know what? Now that you're actually just sitting here and you're not being, you're not distracting yourself. Remember that thing that you did back in, you know, like 20 years ago, like it's going to become this, this place of un, un, all of the, the layers of the onion are going to come off. And you're going to say, all oh, right, and I have this impulse and I have that impulse and I'm not going to act on it. I'm not going to act on it. And, and it's just, you're going to keep going, well, who am I if I'm not this set of, of, of impulses or that set of impulses? And slowly uh, you do, as, as you were talking about, like, I think get that sense of a larger self which I think at some point for the Buddhist would be a no self, which would be a, uh, an experience of emptiness where you're just kind of spacious. There's a meditation called sky-like mind where you, you imagine your mind is the sky and your thoughts and your emotions are like clouds that pass through the, through the sky. And it's like, sometimes it's cloudy, sometimes it's sunny, sometimes it's raining, sometimes you're angry, sometimes you're, you're happy, whatever. But the quality of the mind doesn't change. And that's who that's what you are. You are awareness. You're just this floating awareness in which stuff happens. And if you can identify more with that spacious awareness and less with the momentary impulse, then you have that broader sense of self. I is, is at least my understanding. Mm-hmm. I, I see it as 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 work. We need to work with ourselves, and so whether we use meditation or again, what my path that I took, I think it's really important to 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 do that. Now, what you're saying is you can get basically the same through a tool, which is drugs. Certain drugs can give you that. What you're talking about, things can come up then more quickly too. Um, but it's not just the the practice of it, because taking a drug does not make you spiritual. And I see it more as these are tools and then it's really your job of integrating them into your life of of, of moving in a direction uh, with it right and um uh, it's not just a practice and that's like i know many people who meditate and uh, many people who call themselves spiritual who in my view are not are Mm -hmm. not right and uh, it's not just my perception is because 
they don't embody the the good they don't embody the caring about others they're just like so like self-concerned and uh just like it's actually harming them in many cases mm -hmm. to become more self-absorbed now a question for you would be what do you think is spirituality something that we can develop and and work on is it something that we need to be born with is it something that uh, uh comes to us or is it something that's given to us how would you how would you say which one of them would uh, would you agree with i i would say it's the sort of um a natural preconditioned self you know, it's kind of if if you stripped away the conditioning, uh, you know, and, and uh, of everything that to do with our, you know, our upbringing and all I of really that, like that, you strip it back, and you, and that's your that's your. But strip. that to me is, is is psychoanalysis. That's exactly it. Uh -huh. I, I completely agree with you, hundred percent on that. But uh, I think where we differ, and I would love to have uh, a show on that, perhaps specifically, but I want to talk about it. Is that idea of faith, and again, the way. I understand it, um, probably, or the way a faith that does not necessarily include like, oh, in this personal God, and I have faith in this superpower. I'm actually today I'm wearing a, a Superman shirt, um, just kind of to embody that, um, but more a faith in myself in the universe in and myself as in not the conditioned self i really like that definition but the the overall self that is not that different from any other self and that we are part of this whole that kind of faith and that i think transcends materialism transcends um science in in many ways too um, I'm not anti-science, but I think there is something that transcends it too. And we see it within science, uh, quantum physics, that is just like playing with it. The idea of gravity and then how things have changed since uh, Einstein revolutionized with his ideas, the conception of time and so on. I think that's it. And so uh, when you're saying like you have a more materialistic point of view, I would disagree with that. Uh, basically also knowing you because i don't think you do and i think there is something that's trying to break through and <laughs> i would call that faith even though you don't see it that way i uh, the famous um buddhist teacher tichni han who mm -hmm. recently died at 95 you know his his word is interbeing you know that that we don't exist as as individual isolated beings we exist entirely enmeshed and, and, and dependent and resulting from a web of connection that is goes through all living things on this planet. And so, you know, he had a very strong environmentalist uh, message throughout his life, uh, which was, you know, don't treat the environment as something that is exterior to yourself. You're not going out to save the environment. You are the environment. Like and, 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 so, you know, and you are the culture. I mean, when people are saying like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm fighting against the culture and this, you are part of it. You are right. part of the whole. And it's like not seeing yourself separately, but as, as, as part of it, the same way we are connected to the environment, as you're saying. I really like that. Yeah. And, and so, I mean, I guess in that sense, that's a kind of, um, you know, more transcendent you know, view or broader view of, of, of self or existence. Um, faith is a tricky one. I mean, you know, what's, what's nice about Buddhism is that it's 
doesn't require belief. You know, the, it, the, the Buddha was always all about like, hey, you know, try it. Like, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to do this, just give it a shot, you know? And, um, and so, you know, I like the idea that it's, and, and I, actually my favorite meditation teacher, uh, Joseph Gold, Goldstein, he was talking, you know, he's a, you know, intellectual dude from, from New York and, you know, but he, he was first wave Westerners going to India to learn about this along Ramdas and, and others. And, um, you know, along the way, of course, you know, he has teachers in India who are saying, talking about reincarnation, you know, to, and, and so where he sits with it now is he's not saying it's, he's basically, he's like, he's not saying it's true, he's not saying it's not true. He's like, he just says, like, just sort of sit with the idea, you know, and, and his own, his, one of his teachers used to say, Joseph, you don't have to believe this. I, and then the teacher said, it's true, <laughs> but you don't have to believe it, you know? Okay. And it was sort of like, it's not a requirement to have that kind of blind faith, which is, again, another thing that makes Buddhism so so awesome. <laughs> is that it's such a, you know, sensible, um, you know, be it, some people don't even want to call it a religion, right? It's a spiritual practice. Or for, for me, I often just think of it as, as really, really subtle psychology, of, you know, of just of the human mind. Well, I, I think we, you can't function without faith, and that's that's why we do because we do have faith. You walk down, you walk down the street. You want to cross the road. You have faith that people will stop at the red light, at their red light, and it's your green light. You have faith in that, and this is just one tiny mm. example. But you can't function without faith, and where it gets tricky is where you have to make decisions based on that. You don't know the answer. You don't know. You don't have a rational decision there, but you just kind of take that that leap. And mm -hmm. I think that's, or we can also call it, it's connected to trust also, and trusting, trusting yourself, trusting others, becoming vulnerable, because then you have faith or trust in the other person. And in that process, you will have a lot of negative experiences too, because not everybody can be trusted. You can't have faith in everybody. But the main thing I think is really that faith within yourself of being able to connect that. And I think that's what, what Buddhism is all about as well. My, I think for me, the, for my impression is that there is a, like a it's, it's, it's close to that, and except that there's a little bit of a, a shift to, not necessarily trusting that things will work out or whatever, but rather embracing uncertainty. And and I think yeah, that's embracing them. I agree, but trusting it will work out. I think it does. I think it always does. And that's well, that's where we might until it doesn't, right? Like <laughs> even if it doesn't, it does. Right. I think that's that's I, kind of um, the, um, how I would I would see it. The the word that I. I've heard used a lot is the experience of groundlessness where there is no ground. Mm -hmm. and, and the way I've heard sort of awakening being described is you suddenly feel like you've, you're jumping out of an airplane without a parachute and you're falling, which is kind of terrifying, but then you realize there is no ground. You mm -hmm. just fall, <laughs> which I thought was kind of cool. And, and so, and Pema Chodron is probably the, one of the big ones on this one of talking about groundlessness where 
sometimes it's when things fall apart in our lives that we are most, in, in a way, at our, at our, become our, sort of exposed to the most spiritual part of ourselves. You know, so it's when, when for Pema Chodron, she's she's the she's a, a Buddhist nun who who's you know runs a, a an nunnery. Is that the word? <laughs> anyway, she's very famous, but you know. Decades ago, how this all started for her was that her, her husband suddenly left her and she was, experienced that groundlessness where it's just, where's my life? What's, who am I? Everything's changed. And that sort of led her to meditation and Buddhism as a way of embracing that sense of like just falling through space without any kind of sense of self, without, without any kind of parachute mm-hmm. and, and sort of just being able to maybe find some acceptance with mm-hmm. it. And so I think for me, it's more like about acceptance and, and, you know, that big word equanimity, you know, like that, that to me is like the, the real payoff, the real value of of Buddhism is by holding up equanimity as, as one of the, you know, kind of best places you want to be as a, as a human being who's just in a constant state of duress, uncertainty, you know, the, the one, I remember Joseph Goldstein was once quoted again, a meditation teacher who said, if you wanted to sum up all of Buddhism in like one phrase, what would you, what would you say? And, and the answer was, everything changes. <laughs> <That's> mm-hmm. <it. laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 And, and it, I, I think that the groundlessness is though a, a phase. It's not a constant state. I would, I would see it more like, okay, there is that. But again, I do know that I do have that faith that there is like a mattress, a soft one right below, but we need to go through that phase the same way through meditation where these challenges come up and they're actually good. I think we should welcome them. And the same way as, as embracing uh, suffering to a degree, not looking for it, not actively looking for it. Of course, we're not masochistic, but when it comes to, to, to learn from it, to listen to it and, and to grow from it, I think that is hugely important. Now, uh, what about, yeah, sorry. I was just going to say, absolutely. I would think, you know, suffering, especially is such a galvanizer of the self, the self, like it'll, it's, it's not obviously by definition, not pleasant, but it's 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 going to connect you with you, you know, <laughs> in the in the most intense way, you know, uh, that that you're you you you're going to get a crash course in yourself, you know. That's when you have to <laughs> show what you're made of too, right? That's that what? resilience you have to show what you're made of. That's like resilience, that strength. Yeah. It, it's it's tested. That's the ultimate yeah. test. What what uh, what I find uh, um, frustrating is when people. Just pray. And I know people from a certain religion, which I will mention, um, who was saying before an exam, this was in during my college years, um, that she would pray. And so she would do well on the exam. And I said, well, just go and study. (laughs) That is more effective, scientifically proven. And and that's where I would completely disagree with the idea of faith. Yeah, I have faith that I will do well, but I'm not going to do the work. It doesn't work that way. You know, that's not reality. Um, But what about atheism? What's your view on atheism? What do you think? Uh, I, I guess I was a pretty rabid before I got into the whole Buddhism thing pretty heavily a couple of years ago. I would have defined myself as a pretty rabid atheist, mm-hmm. and and um, and you know, like Christopher Hitchens to me mm-hmm. was like a like that that to me seemed like a good role model of like somebody's just mm-hmm. out there ready to take apart anybody who's not going to be sensible about these things, and. Um, 
and I guess I, I guess I just softened on it. You know, I just I don't I still think that it's great when he does take people on and sh and shows just like if it's some born again Christian person, he just takes their arguments and turns them into, you know, just ribbons. Um, it's just I'm not I don't want to dedicate my life to like fighting that, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I'd rather ha focus on qualities like compassion. Right. Mm -hmm. And so. I, and and that that just be made for us a, a more equanimous and, and saner life ultimately in some ways uh, religion is so much more loaded in terms of words if you say i am christian and muslim and so on compared to an atheist i mean it, it, people have tend to have maybe negative views of it but the only definition of atheism is no god right and yeah. that's it and um, what I find fascinating, though, is like when atheists do engage in morality because they say, even though I don't believe in personal rewards and punishment, I still do the right thing and what's good for, for myself, for humanity, for everyone. And I, I admire that because there is nothing to gain for them in their point of view. Right, exactly. And I mean, and if it is just based on fear, right, like what kind of what kind of what kind of vision of, of the human psyche is it that it's like, well, we're all like just, you know, murderers and rapists, except for the fear of, of God's wrath, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, and we would never help anyone else except that the Bible tells us so. And it's like, you know, there is that sort of view that says the atheist view that it's like man in his natural state is, is cooperative and, you know, finds it finds it to be the most fulfilling thing is to be of service to others. You know, mm -hmm. that's just built into our DNA. You know, you want, if you want to feel good today, go help somebody else, you know? And it's like, I love those like, um, you know, psychology experiments where it's like, give somebody $20 and it's like, go and spend that on yourself. Okay. Now how, how, how good did that feel? Now take that $20 and spend it on someone else. You know, and, and mm -hmm. how does that feel? And it's like mm -hmm. oftentimes, you know, spending it for giving it to someone else or, or using it for someone else results in a much deeper sense of satisfaction. And and so that's that's just our, the way that we've been hardwired. And that doesn't require any fear of a, of a of an angry God. What about Pascal's wager? What do you think of that? I mean, of like basically betting if you bet on an afterlife and on God. And oh, yeah, right. You might as well you know? just cover all your bets. Yeah. yeah. What do you uh, think of that? I mean, I, I think that if there's an afterlife, you know, sort of the, the price of admission probably won't be what we think it is. And I, and I think that's always the test for me. It's like whenever there's anything sort of supernatural or, you know, it's like how... I don't, it, you know, there are forces in the world we don't understand clearly. You know, there's there's things that, at, you know, at play that we don't know about. Um, you know, quantum physics sort of starts pointing mm -hmm. at those things, mm -hmm. you know, but they don't, they don't fit with our wish fulfillment. You know, <laughs> like there isn't like, mm -hmm. oh, if I'm really good, then I get to go to heaven. And mm -hmm. that reassures me because, you know, fear of mortality is, you know, at the, the, the base of our, our existence. So of course we want to have some fairy tale that says you don't really die, but 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 it's like when you have such an, uh, a clear fear and such a clear made up solution, it's like it doesn't everyone just see through that? You know, like why why would you think that that's real? You know, I, I just I, and, and I and I sort of wanted to. That's good actually because I sort of I was hoping we could 
circle back a little bit to organized religion and specifically the Catholic Church. And it's oh, like, okay. I just find, you know, there are certain things that come up, you know, in the world and you're like, I don't understand people, you know, because <laughs> so many, you know, obviously Catholicism has just got a lot of, you know, a lot of followers. And it's just to me, it's like, how, how can you possibly want to be associated with the Catholic Church in this day and age, you know, considering all that they've done? I mean, hey, we're pretty, we're pretty good, you know, a little bit of child rape, well, actually quite a lot, you know, but other than that, we're pretty good. It's like, it's like the worst thing, right? Like, and yet it somehow doesn't really discourage people enough, you know, mm. and, and I think part of it, though, trying to understand what the appeal might be is I always think of it as a kind of uh, the way that people are irrational about like rock music, you know, like you go to like a, we were going to a Marilyn Manson show a few years back and it was like, it's very, it's, it's a very engrossing and, and kind of like, it just sucks you in and takes you over, you know, like the, if, if you're kind of willing to, to go with it. And it's not, it's not a rational experience, you know, it's this kind of wild sort of Dionysian experience. And I think the Catholic church offers some of that, you know, like just in this, it is, you know, awesome architecture and pageantry and, and, you know, all of the, all of the sort of theatrics that go along with, with the, the body of Christ and all the fancy costuming. Mm -hmm. It's like, Oh, I'm part of some awesome, you know, production here. I'm being taken to another place just as going to see like some rock show might do it for other people. It's a communal experience. You're just drawn into it. And if, and that it feels literally an elevating kind of experience. So if you want to say that, Oh, I, I felt the hand or the, spirit of, of of god or whatever mm -hmm. sure but i would say like when i went to see rage against the machine i kind of also had some similar sense but i wouldn't say that was like god you know making me feel sort of high on it yeah absolutely the um i think one of the the fascinating differences between like the catholic religion and let's say protestant religion and again when you start martin luther didn't like the corruption and it's like, okay, you're getting away with things. And that's true. This is the mentality of like in, in the Catholic, through your works, you can make up for things. So if you were like a horrible person, yeah, you can do, you can atone for your sins and you're going to be fine. And I think that's in the back of their mind. It's like, yeah, I can do horrible things, but I'll be okay because I will do good things and will make up for the bad things. Now, the Protestant belief, though, is really scary because God already made up his mind. No, no matter what you do, you cannot get to heaven he already knows he's omniscient and he's made up his mind so we just kind of try to live and then those who are blessed they will kind of feel it because they will be successful and those who are not then because they deserve to to suffer and so on so and it's it's and then the only thing you have is faith of that blind belief it's like yes yes i believe in him and then everything is forgotten even if you're a horrible person so Either one is 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 not that great because it's like the ac accountability, the responsibility, the free will, that part, and that your actions matter and have consequences in this life. I think not just in thinking of the other. And I like the idea of karma for that because yeah. it's like you accumulate uh, that through your bad actions, and uh, I I think it does happen. But it's I do like the part of the, that belief system of the, the Catholic religion, that kind of fantasy. I find that fascinating. I find that cool, 
right? The, the symbolism and so on. But at the same time, uh, it can be very dangerous, as, 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 as you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and I guess sort of again, going back to that kind of melding of, or, or kind of connection between religion and spirituality, it's like, I wonder, you know, those, the, that sort of rich pageantry, the rituals of the Catholic Church give people a spiritual feeling, sensation, you know, like to be there. And, uh, but I would just say that that's a very different experience than pursuing some larger sense of self through a, you know, set of practices like meditation or something like that. Like, I just, I, it's to me, you know, the Catholic Church is so bound up and wound up with all those other things that we talked about, the repression of sexuality, the, mm -hmm. the pr preservation of conservative values, um, just sort of the the so so invested in maintaining its own authority i mean one of the i mean the protestants you know one of the reasons they broke away was because the catholic church says you don't get to have a personal relationship with god the, the church is the intermediary like we'll tell you how yeah. things are between you and god yeah. and then protestants are like no, no no i can actually just go and read the bible yeah. and develop make my, own, my own mind and think for myself yeah know? and have and my own personal relationship mm -hmm. with with, mm -hmm. with and, and I think that's it for me because I, I see all these aspects that I like, but it's none of them that I say like it completes the whole. Like even even Buddhism, there's there are some parts is like okay, no, it's not like it's not really the whole answer. And I think I, probably this is because the way I am, I don't accept the whole package, and I, but I do see the good parts of each of them. And then I combine them and create a hybrid that is my unique worldview. And and as long as it's not harming others and it's actually benefiting others, I, I think that should be fine. And that's something that um, I would uh, other people encourage to do as well, maybe. And we're getting close to the end, but just if you could even briefly touch on some of the things you feel like aren't working in Buddhism. Maybe we could do our own show on that because yeah, that maybe that's a kickoff I'm, for the next one. I'm fascinated about, so we can we can get into that, and that might be maybe our our next show. We'll we'll we'll, we'll yeah, we, we, we might go a little bit deeper on that the spirituality for sure, side. for sure. And I do like also to talk about the afterlife, but that again is another show. But um, thank you for being here. Yeah, thank <laughs> you. I, 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 it's such a pleasure. As usual, a delight. These things. Hmm? As you should like. I like to hear that. Yeah. And mm -hmm. and hopefully thought-provoking. Hopefully you you take the good out of it and uh, just omit the bad and ignore it. And again, I think pretty much everything is on a spectrum. Just a final note, I think the holistic worldview of things is really something that I'm passionate about. That could be another talk to um, where we, we should see not just the parts and focus on the parts, but see the big picture of everything, how things fit in. That's for another session. But thank you so much, uh, Chris, for, for, for doing this show with me. And thank you, Arash.